with Michael Easley in context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. I was there in prison. I was walking around the cell block. I passed by a garbage can and, you know, thinking that's my life. Trash. I've totally trashed my life. And, um, but something on top of the trash, you know, caught my eye. So I, I turned around and I bent over and I picked it up. And it was a Gideon's New Testament. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Well, yesterday in the broadcast, we introduced you to Christopher Yuan, Y-U-A-N, author of Out of a Far Country. Christopher tells the story of coming out of the gay lifestyle, trusting Christ and what that means. Let's pick up the program in progress. So you spent how long in prison? Yes, I, I was sentenced to six, but I was spent three years in prison. Three years in prison. And my transformation was really gradual. And it wasn't like my mother's, just instantaneous. It was, it took that first whole year of not clinging to my identity. A, a chaplain even gave me a book kind of explaining, oh, this is okay to be gay. You can just do your thing. And I read it. I had the Bible in one hand and his book in the other. And I had every reason to accept what that book. I wanted my cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. You know, so many miracles. But this is one of those miracles where even though everything in me wanted to accept that, it was the Holy Spirit that everything about that book just didn't settle. It wasn't settling in, in right with me. And so I think it was the Holy Spirit that convicted me and said, this isn't, this is distorting God's word. When your parents visited and your dad left a Bible that you put in the trash, you're in prison yeah. And you get a Bible. So it was actually shortly after I was there in prison. I was walking around the cell block. I passed by a garbage can and, you know, thinking that's my life. Trash. I've totally trashed my life. I was about to walk by it. And um, but something on top of the trash, you know, caught my eye. So I, I turned around and I bent over and I picked it up. And it was a Gideon's New Testament. <laughs> I brought it back to my room for whatever reason, I don't know why I did. I opened it up, and that night I read through the entire Gospel of Mark. You know, I didn't think, oh, here's the Word of God. I didn't think that this is going to somehow miraculously change my life. I just, you know, thought, well, this is a book. I've got Take lots of time it. on my hands. I just might as well read it. You know, it's meaningful to my parents, and so I, I just began reading it. But Dr. Easley, as as many of you know, your listeners know, this is not an ordinary book. Mm-hmm. It's living. It's powerful. It's the breath of God. Mm. And uh, so it was convicting me and it was not looking good. You know, I mean, I think I had heard that, you know, this is supposed to be good news. It was not good news to me. Interesting. It was not good news. I was a sinner. I was in prison. I was convicted. And then I got worse news. I was called in the nurse's office alone. So I knew because, just because I was called there alone, that was very unique. When people go to the, you know, nurses and et cetera, they would all go as a group. They called me there alone. I was handcuffed, brought into her office, shut the door, and she was just all flustered. I, I didn't know what was going on. So she just wrote something on a piece of paper and slowly sit it across the desk. And I looked down and she had written three letters and a symbol. And it read H-I-V positive. So I went back to my cell and I wasn't going to share this with any of the other inmates. I called home and, you know, I tried to be uh, hold up good and I wasn't going to cry in front of the other men on the phone. And my mom was a wreck. A couple days later after that, they moved me to another cell block. I was on my way to the to begin my time, uh, sent it to six years. And I lay there one night in my bed and I looked up 
um, and someone had actually written something on that metal bunk above me, mm-hmm. and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm-hmm. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And, you know, I mean, these are words written uh, by a prophet to a rebellious, rebellious nation mm-hmm. two thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet that was the very verse that I needed to hear, mm. that he still had a plan. How, how are you processing this difficult, uh, not good news book now? <laughs> I still was struggling. Grappling. Mm-hmm. Grappling, because, you know, it was convicting me. You know, who, who was I? That my, my identity. I wanted both. I, I wanted, because this is who I am. How could I get rid of this? And I, I realized that, you know, this, this isn't who I am. My identity isn't gay. My identity isn't ex-gay. My identity isn't straight. But my identity as a, as a child of the living God has to be, has to be in Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, even if, I, if somehow my orientation changed, I would still have a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. I would still need to pursue holiness. So the answer isn't heterosexuality, but the answer isn't homosexuality either. You know, there's a passage that hit me right between the eyes. And it was a passage that said, be holy for I am holy. We read those through the lens of our experience. We read those kind of through how our past. And I, and I realized God wasn't saying be heterosexual for I'm heterosexual, but he also didn't say be homosexual for I'm homosexual. He said, be holy, holy. for I'm holy. So I realized that God was telling me, don't focus upon your sexuality or what you're feeling or your temptations, but focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. I mean, that's the Christian life. That's mm-hmm. sanctification. Mm-hmm. Christopher, help us understand, help me understand, how did you put the pieces together? How did God finally help you come to Christ? You know, it was just a gradual process. I've had people, as they read our book, write back and and say, you know, the one thing that's missing, you know, the weakness of your book is that I don't know when you came to Christ. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, when I look back, I don't know the moment that I came to Christ either. No walk the aisle prayer. The prayer there was no, no prayer. Mm-hmm. I, no one sat down and shared the four spiritual laws or the five rules, you know, whatever. It was me in my cell and the word of God. Wow. And my mother, her transformation was we knew the day, we knew the time, we knew the place. Mm. For me, there was no time. And honestly, I tell people it probably was somewhere in that first year in prison because I'm so stubborn. (laughs) God really, you know, I just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, And so that's why it was a journey. It was a process of I knew of Christ at the beginning, but I was still holding on. I was holding on to my life. I was holding on to my sexuality. I was holding on to all these things. But it wasn't until finally when I said, no, this is it. Jesus wasn't joking when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must, not maybe, this is optional, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Mm-hmm. I just don't see any way around that passage. When, when we look at Christendom, and you and I have been on all kinds of sides of this, from, mm. from teaching it, from being in churches, speaking to different audiences, yeah. um, I think it's refreshing for people to hear 
I don't have a date and time. I don't have a date and time. I have some experiences that were pretty strong, yeah. but I can look back on a period of about like you, about a year where it kind of came together. Yeah. Now, but fast forward, when did you have assurance of that? There was some yeah. point when I oh, call yeah. it the benchmark. You say, yeah. okay, now I know. You know, I would say uh, it, it was probably and not looking for date and time, but yeah. when it got from here, you know, head to heart. Yeah, I, I think it was toward the end of my time in prison. Okay. When I really did let go of my identity, because it was this slowly letting go of these other small things, you know, my addiction to drugs, not really a small thing, but I think compared to me holding on to my sexual identity, that was a big thing. Because though my major temptations towards drugs went away, maybe in the first few months, I still had these feelings. And so because I had these feelings, it was easy for me to say, well, if I have these feelings, this is still who I am. You know what I mean? Right. right. Because the world tells me that. But then, you know, I read through scripture that, no, you know, sanctification is not about the obliteration of our temptations. Wouldn't that be nice? I, I wish, yeah. you know, to come to Christ and just poof, no more, no more struggles, no more temptations. Sin is no fun. I mean, I, I just I'd like to be honest and I just say sin feels good. Absolutely. If, yeah. if, if sin it, if it didn't wasn't, feel right, good, right. I, why would we struggle? It right. would not be a struggle. I mean, we wouldn't like it. No, let's be honest. Sin does feel good for the moment. Yes. There are consequences. Yes. We go back to it because it's comfortable. It's what we know. And so that, for me to just let that go, it was scary because this is who I was. This is what I've known for seven, eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of when it was like, no. I have to let this go, you know, but then, okay, then who am I? Well, mm-hmm. I'm a child of God. My identity is in Christ. So that was really toward the end. And right around that same time was when I was beginning to preach, do little Bible studies. Wow. And God was like just showing me I loved what I was doing. I saw the fruit of people coming to faith. You know, if any of you all just want to see people coming to faith, Go into prison and do prison ministry. It's just people are hungry, desperate to get good news. All they get is I, I, bad news. I was, I was hoping you would say go to prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, go volunteer and go into prison. Don't go to prison. I, I prefer not. I prefer not. <laughs> Make sure that they'll you, be able to let you. you out. Shawshank Redemption is a movie, not <laughs> <Right>. reality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that was when God then called me to ministry while I was in prison. Mm. Another miracle. Who am I? You know, I... I I don't know anything about the Bible. I was teaching the Bible, but I knew nothing about the Bible. And people only asked me to do that because they knew I'd been to college. They knew I'd been to graduate school where many of these men, they're actually very bright men, but no, they they didn't no really have, you know, they probably might have a fourth, fifth grader, you know, uh, reading level or even third grader, you know, uh, so they weren't really, they weren't well read. They didn't know how to really, you know, interpret and, and understand. So they asked me to do it. And so I was just like, you know, but... I loved it. And so God called me to full-time ministry in wow. prison. And then God shortened my sentence from six years to three years. And so I knew. That, that had to be like the, a banner day. I mean, like. <laughs> miracle. PhD, miracle. forget that. But uh, getting getting my prison sentence cut in half? Yeah. Miracle. Miracle. Which is, that doesn't happen much in in the federal system. So, so many miracles. Uh, so I, I then knew if I was going to continue on to ministry, I needed to, Training, I needed to learn education. more about mm-hmm. the Bible. So I, I called home collect and told my parents um, that I want to go to Bible college. And the only Bible college I had ever heard of was Moody <laughs> Bible Institute. <laughs> and uh, so my parents mailed the application into me. And as you know, you know, we need references. Right. 
not just from anybody, but people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. Well, I've been in prison for three, Mm. so the only people I knew were people in prison. So my references were a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate (laughs) to write my references to Moody. Uh, so amazingly, that sounds like a bad joke, <laughs> right? Exactly. That. <laughs> and so amazingly, uh, Moody Incredible. they ex- they accepted me. Yeah. They, I God. think yeah. they you know, even made some exceptions, and and I was accepted. I was released from prison in July of two thousand one, and I started the very next month in August. So uh, imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question. What did you do this summer? <laughs> I just, I just got out of prison. <laughs> they all move away from me on the bench, right? Yeah. Right. What's he going to do? Yeah. So you go to Moody. Yeah. You're learning scripture. You're mm-hmm. learning how to study and think biblical worldview. Yeah. Uh, fast forward, you're teaching adjunct at Moody. Yeah. You're continuing education at Wheaton, mm-hmm. uh, working on your language skills, yeah. and now your PhD behind you. Yeah. So long journey education, mm-hmm. and God continues to use you. You're speaking all over. You're speaking in churches, youth, mm-hmm. uh, student ministries, youth ministries, college campuses. Yes. Key issues, identity, as we've talked yes. a lot about. What else are you seeing with people as they come up and debate you and challenge you or just question? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the question is, you know, science has proven that people are born gay. Mm-hmm. My friend uh, who's gay says that, um, you know, she's known this as long as she remembers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people have to be born gay. And I think that that is kind of putting a more simplistic answer to a very, very complex question. Yes, there's been a lot of research out there um, on the etiology, the causation of sexuality. And really with all the research that's out there uh, and that has been done, we just don't know. We just don't know. Most likely, it's many, many factors that we're still trying to figure out. Very likely that there are some biological factors, could be some genetic, could be some hormonal, could be some developmental, sociological, all these psychological, uh, well, familial, who, all these different things that let's could back, play yeah, into let, it. Let's come back to any type of uh, illness. I mean, <laughs> right. cystic fibrosis, Down right. syndrome, uh, asthma. I mean, at, at what point my identity is not a manifestation of my sexuality? Right. Yeah. Or I mean, my even alcoholism. Disability? So sure. Alcoholism. I mean, scientists, uh, there's a lot of research that's pointing well, to maybe even some genetic. And people will say, I'm you know, I'm way. an alcoholic. You know, I'm, ma- I'm made this way. And, and, and this is, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. I think there's some biblical principles. But one thing that I, I wrestle with is continually saying, I am an alcoholic. Hmm. Now, yes, I will always admit that I have an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. That I have, but having that addictive personality is this who I am. N- nor is I it am. a license to excuse it. And, no. and this is where I find the inconsistency of it. And, and of course, it makes great sense if that's where you want to live. Yeah. With an sure. identity being an addict, an alcoholic. But at some point, again, our, we're fallen people in a fallen mm-hmm. nature, uh, in, in a fallen culture, in a fallen world, a fallen system. And at some point, I'm recognizing my identity is not my fallenness. Right. No. My identity has got to be in Christ or I'm doomed to this circular. And and it's sort of, to some degree, the why of it, that would be the agenda. Mm. I push the why out there to keep the, the argument at bay. Yeah. Whereas if I'm alone and quiet and have to think about my addiction to pornography, my addiction to chemical substances, my addiction to whatever form of sexuality, my addiction to fill in the blank. Yeah. 
then I've got to sanctify that somehow to say, okay, it's okay <laughs> to be that way because I was made that way. Yeah, yeah. And I think the reason why, you know, even in the church we have this misunderstanding when it comes to sexuality is because I think as Christians, we don't really understand biblical anthropology. Agreed. What does it mean to have a sinful nature? Because if we understand that, sexuality will make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, how can we say, oh, well, just even if, and I don't think that people are born gay. I think it's much more complex than that. But even if people were, even, I do think that there could be something where people might be born with the predisposition that's different mm-hmm. than saying a predetermination. Sure. You know, like alcoholics, you know, they probably well, do have a predisposition. I have four children, Christopher. Some have a predisposition toward athletics and coordination. Yeah. One has one towards, I mean, they're very bookish smart, mathematics. Yeah. I mean, and they all have different giftedness. Right. But we don't talk about that being their identity. Right, right. Or yeah. their addiction to learning or their addiction to, uh, yeah. uh, I'm an I'm a audio learner as opposed to, you know, whatever. I yeah, mean, yeah. So a simple way, a friend of mine, a psychologist, said he would look at his finger and rotate it in the air, and he'd say, you know, Michael, if everyone's fingerprints are unique, mm-hmm. who are we to try to label our behaviors, our emotions, and our identities out of a DSM, you know, or out of some textbook? We're unique creatures made in the image of God, fallen yet redeemable. Yeah. So somehow the church has got to move that conversation, and I, I love the way you're doing it. Again, let's. I want to move on a little bit with your ministry, and mm-hmm. I want I want to visit your health a little bit. You were diagnosed HIV positive. It's been many years now. So how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's your health? How are your numbers? Yeah, I was probably exposed in 1998 with a partner who uh, didn't tell me. So it's been you know 16 some odd years, mm-hmm. and I'm doing fairly well. I'm doing okay. I, I I personally think, of course, I mean, my health is in God's hands. The very moment where I'm going to be home with him has already been preordained. Right. Uh, so I always tell people, you know, up until that moment, I'm invincible. If I'm in God's will, I'm invincible. <laughs> right. I think a lot of why kind of doing well, it has a lot to do with just doing the basic things that we all ought to do. You know, of course, I'm no longer doing drugs. I'm Sexually abstinent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm eating right, sleeping right, and you know, just taking it low stress, trying to exercise, all these things. And I, I think why a lot of people who continue, you know, they, they their lives spiral down and their health spirals down is because maybe they're still, you know, in the drug community and still getting high, and that mm-hmm. that will lower your immune system. So when you're trying to, you know, your immune system is already low, and then you're adding all these things, it's not helping, and so they're kind of spiraling down. Or, you know, if they're still living very promiscuous lives, they could be reinfecting themselves with the virus, mm-hmm. and then the virus strain gets stronger, more virulent. But you know, praise God, you know, there's a reason why God calls us to live. Mm. You know, according to, he he puts boundaries there for a reason, for good, yeah. for for our good, not. To, you know, to be a killjoy. From same-sex attraction to living in a, a drug culture, drug dealer, going to prison, mm. uh, a very active gay lifestyle, Christ interrupts your world yeah. Yeah. <laughs> through the prayers of a mom, mm-hmm. uh, through his word. Praise God, you're healthy. You look great. It's always good to see you. <laughs> and so now we fast forward. God's using you in all kinds of ways. You're teaching. Mm. You're speaking. You're on faculty at Moody. You've finished your doctorate now. What's the future look like for Christopher insofar as you, your intent, your design, how you see God using you? I know that God redeems our past. He will not waste what he has given 
to us and allowed us to go through. And so I think that God takes the junk of what I put myself through. I think he's going to use that for my glory. And, and I see that, how he's, he's been doing that. And so I don't want to waste that. I don't want to waste my past. All that pain, you know, that I went through, that I put my parents through, I want to use that to help other people that are going through the same thing. So my biggest burden is to be able to minister. I think this issue of sexuality is the big issue of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really feel, you know, for such a time as this, that this is where uh, we are. Some are listening right now. Some are... Uh, struggling with all these kind of issues. Yeah. Maybe it's not same-sex attraction, but it's addiction to pornography. It's mm-hmm. uh, transgendered issues, whatever. They're all over. They're, they're distraught. Maybe that voice in their head is telling them it's okay. Maybe mm-hmm. that voice in the head is saying you really are making some poor choices. What would you say to him? It's a simple saying. It's a hymn that many of us know, but it's powerful. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We often will get distracted And our sin, our temptation, whatever it is, even our child who's rebellious can be the focus of our lives. You know, sometimes people go through life and say, if I can just get through today and not fill in the blank, not look at pornography, if I could just get through this day and eat right, if I could just get through this day and not cut myself, whatever it is, if that is how we live, I believe that we are shooting way too low. That is not how God wants us to live. We need to live this abundant life. And I think how we do that is we need to just continue to pursue Christ. We need to have him be our identity. We need to you know, fix our eyes on him and not on our circumstances, not on our struggles. Because I actually think that it's Satan that wants us to fixate on our circumstance, on our situation. And so what does that look like? I mean, it's as these troubles come, you know, and you have to be in community. You need a brother and sister in Christ to to help guide us, to, to get us, you know, fixed in, our, in the Word. And, and I, we see this in the church all the time. You cannot live the Christian life alone. No. It's been great to have you in the studio, Christopher. Again, his book, Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. And Christopher, I'd love for you to pray for folks, especially those who are conflicted right now, who are are tortured in what they're doing, and give them some hope where they might be. God, creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, we worship you and we thank you. How good you are to us that in our unfaithfulness, you are faithful to us. When we run from you, you are there waiting with open arms to come back. Thank you, Father, that it's your kindness that leads to repentance. And Father, I want to just pray for the listener right now who is there wrestling through maybe this issue of sexuality or maybe an addiction or whatever it might be, Lord. You know, I pray, Father, that you will let them know that you are near, that you are our Heavenly Father, Abba. And I ask, Lord, that you will help them just to get through this one day and to fix their eyes on you, fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Father, I know that there are many parents uh, listening right at this moment, uh, maybe uh, thinking about their daughter, their son. Uh, They've cried so many tears. I pray that they would never give up on hope. And I pray that through these refining fires, Lord, that you would grow them closer to you, that they would realize that they we can be in no other place but to be completely dependent upon you. God, we thank you for just being God. 
and never giving up on us. We praise you. Thank you. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Christopher's story reminds me, it does not matter what your past or my past is all about. We all come as broken creatures. We're all sinners. There's level ground at the base of the cross of Jesus Christ. He can provide hope, help, and a new life. We want to help you grow in that relationship to him. If you have questions or comments, you can go to michaelincontext.com where we'd be glad to answer any questions or comments you might submit. This is an issue that's not going to go away. I would ask you to share these two messages with your friends, perhaps some who are struggling with same-sex attraction, or just their opinion on what this culture has believed that we're made this way. This, our identity is a sexual orientation. And Christopher's story is a good one. It's a good reminder that we all need help. Well, thanks for joining us today. This is Michael Easley in Context. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.